We live in really dark times. I know I'm not telling you anything that you don't already know. When it comes to school shootings and fiscal cliffs and wars and many other things, we live in difficult, dark times. The culture in which Jesus arrived as a baby isn't really that much different than the culture that you and I are living in today. People in Jesus' day thought the world was going to end soon as well. And Jesus came into the world during a really dark time. People were desperately looking and longing for peace, longing for purpose, longing for hope. It's this culture, when Jesus was born, it was a politically dark time, but it was also a very spiritually dark time. And a time when God was silent. Silence. Listen to the silence around you. God was quiet. He didn't used to be quiet. In the first 39 books of the Bible books we call the Old Testament, God was active. God chose a man by the name of Abram and told Abram that he was going to make him into a great nation and give him a great land, that from Abram's children he would raise up a mighty nation that would one day be the light of the world, a light unto the Gentiles, showing everyone else how to find God. There was a big problem because Abram... He didn't have any kids. In fact, him and his wife, Sarai, were well past the childbearing age. He was almost 100. She was almost 90. This couple was desperate for children all of their life, and now God's given them a promise. But what they realize is that God shows up in helpless, dark situations hopeless situations. God was active, and they conceived, and they had a child, and Sarah called him laughter. What else are you going to name a kid except laughter when you give birth at 91 years old? God was active. God was active. The child named laughter gave birth to more kids, who gave birth to more children, and after a few generations, God's promise to make Abram's children number more than the stars of the sky or the sands on the seashore was fulfilled. God's people, the Jewish race, were born to a childless couple with no hope for a future. But God is active. God's people, the Jews, then became oppressed by an Egyptian pharaoh. Because of the overpopulation of Jews living in Egypt, Pharaoh's orders to kill every Jewish boy was a very dark time in Israel's history. Some people forgot about God. Other people thought that God had forgotten about them. But during this dark time in Israel's history, God was active. And he raised up a Jewish boy by the name of Moses. And Moses lived and led the Jewish people out of bondage and slavery through some very miraculous events, because God was active. God showed up in clouds and in fire, leading Moses and the Jewish people out of the land 
of bondage, parting the waters of a sea and into a land that God had promised Abram 400 years before. God was moving behind the scenes, and not only behind the scenes, but also right in very front of his people because God was active. God used Joshua by tearing down city walls and defeating Jewish enemies. God's people defended and defeated giants. God performed miracles by sending fire down from the sky, parting floodwaters, ending droughts by rain, raising people from the dead. God was active in these first 39 books. Not only was God active, but God was speaking. He spoke through angels. He spoke through dreams. He He spoke through visions. He spoke to Abram. He spoke to Adam and Eve. He spoke to Noah. He spoke to Moses. He spoke to Joshua. He spoke to Samson. He spoke to Ruth. He spoke to David. He spoke to Solomon. He spoke to Elijah. He spoke to Elisha. God spoke to Isaiah and to Jeremiah and to Daniel. God spoke to Zephaniah and Malachi. God spoke and his people wrote down what he spoke. All in all, 39 books in the Old Testament were written over a thousand year time period because God was actively speaking. God spoke about how they believed and how they should believe and how they should worship him. God spoke about very practical matters, about hygiene. God spoke in Proverbs about how to do business, how to make friends, how to be wise. During this time, God was speaking, and though some people listened and wrote down his words, many chose not to listen. But that didn't stop our God from speaking. God loved to communicate with his people. God was active. God was speaking, and God was obvious. Through signs and miracles, stuff in the sky, stuff on earth, God was obvious. God made the Jewish race, the Israelites, his people, and God declared this, I will be your God. Follow me. Worship me alone. You will find purpose in me. Even though God was obvious, even though God was speaking, and God was active, God's people, the Israelites, chose to go their own way. They chose not to listen. God warned that if they continued disobeying, if they continued worshiping idols, if they continued not to listen to him, he would stop speaking. He would stop being active, and he would be hidden from their sight. But they still didn't listen. The book of Isaiah is going to be up on the screen. We're going to start in Isaiah chapter 8, because that is exactly what happened. God turned his back. God said, he warned them, I'm going to stop speaking. And God remained hidden. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 17, says this. I will wait for the Lord, who has turned turned away from the descendants of Jacob. I will put my hope 
in, what does it say? Him. Look to God's instructions and teaching. People who contradict his word are completely in the, that's what we're talking about, darkness. Because of their disobedience, because that they were walking contradictions, Isaiah talks about a time that is coming that they would want God to be obvious, but he would be obscure. A time of darkness was coming in which they would call on his name, but he would be silent. They would, they would long for purpose. They would work and they would grow weary. Yet, they would hunger and they would eat for something more, but they would be hungry. Listen to what Isaiah 21 says. They will go from one place to another, weary and hungry. And because they are hungry, they will rage and curse their king and their God. They will look up to the heaven and down to the earth, but wherever they look, there will be trouble and anguish and, what does it say? Dark despair. They will be thrown out into the darkness. He's saying, people will long for purpose, and they will not find it, and they will rage and they will curse against their God. Kind of sounds like our culture, doesn't it? Darkness, silence, and despair. Isaiah wrote this, and after the last of the 39 books were written, the book of Malachi, darkness enveloped the land. Silence and despair. And for 400 years, after the 39 books of the Old Testament were written, For 400 years, God was silent. God's people lived in darkness. God was not obvious. No miracles. No amazing signs. No floodwaters being parted. No fire from the sky. No giants being killed. During these 400 years, some amazing people in history stepped up to the scene. Cambyses, Xerxes, Battle of Thermopylae, Alexander the Great, Cleopatra and Mark Antony, Caesar and Brutus. And even though some very interesting people were on stage for just a little bit, during these four centuries, there was no sign of God. There was no spotlight on God, just darkness. Not one poet filled the air with an inspired prayer. Not one God-ordained historian sat down to record world events for Scripture. For 400 years, God did not speak through any biblical writings. For four centuries, longer than what the United States has been a country, God was silent. The time right before Jesus was born was one of the most ungodliest times in human history. God's people, the Jews, were an invaded people. First invaded by the Babylonians, 
then invaded by the Persians, and then invaded by the Greeks, and lastly, invaded and conquered by the Romans. Taxes were crippling high. 90% of Jewish population lived in extreme poverty. The average life expectancy for the Jewish male was 25 years old. Disease and sickness had crippled the Jews. It was a dark time. The Jews were longing for liberation. Tensions were high. Terrorism and violence abounded. Around the time Jesus was born, the king over the region, a guy by the name of King Herod, demanded that all Jewish boys be murdered and killed, similar to Pharaoh's decree hundreds of years earlier. It was volatile. It was dangerous. It was a time plunged in darkness. It's a good time to stop right here and just say, you know, I think so many of us sometimes, when we think about Christmas... We've created so many expectations of being the most wonderful time of the year. We even sing that song, don't we? When nothing ever goes wrong, there's total peace in our families. Everybody likes one another. But that wasn't the culture Jesus was born into. That wasn't the culture of the first Christmas. But Isaiah gives us hope. This time of silence doesn't last forever. This time of darkness will not last. Because Isaiah tells of a person who will bring light into the darkness. Isaiah 9.1 says, Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. Isaiah 9.1, there will be a time in the future when the Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. What Isaiah says is that about this region and around this region, around the Sea of Galilee, places like Nazareth, Capernaum, Chorazin, Bethsaida, Someone is coming who will be filled with God's glory. A person will appear who will be filled with the glory of God and filled with God and will end the darkness. Listen to the hope that Isaiah gives about the coming of Jesus. Isaiah 9-2. This was written, by the way, 700 years before Jesus was ever born. The people who walk in the darkness will see what? A great light. For those who live in the land of deep darkness, a light will shine. Before we talk about light, we first have to talk about darkness. And right now it's pretty dark in here, but there's still some ambient light. You could see if you needed to get up. But how many of y'all have ever been in deep, deep, deep darkness? Let me see your hands. I can still see them, by the way. All right, I see you. All right. I mean, trying to find your way in the dark can be a dangerous thing. In fact, earlier this year, my wife, trying to find her way in the darkness, she broke a toe. Was it a fun time? Things get broken and busted up. 
trying to grope in the dark. I remember being in Boy Scouts. I'm an Eagle Scout. And one of the things that we used to do a lot is during uh, the, the, the winter months is we would go camping in caves. I loved camping in caves because you could go camp in a cave and it may be 20 below zero and snowing outside, but inside that cave, it is a balmy 56 degrees. And yes, I wore shorts. It was a fun time. We would go up into Kentucky, and we would go spelunking. Uh, We would go to the Lost Sea, and that was always neat because uh, in this Lost Sea, there was literally a sea. There was a lake, an underground lake, that you could go and you could see fish who had no eyes because you don't need eyes when there's complete and utter darkness. You know, I loved going in these caves. It was always so kind of cool and fun because you go in there and at night, though, if you're afraid of the dark, it can be a little scary because there is not one iota of light. It is deep darkness. There is no moonlight to shine your way. There are no stars that you can look at. It's easy to get turned around and and, and lose which direction. Well, you don't know what is up and what is down and what is right and what is left. And that is exactly the type of darkness that Isaiah is talking about, where we have panic and fear and loss and hopelessness. That's what we experience in a darkness like that. You lose direction. You lose purpose. Isaiah has given us a very vivid picture. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in the land of deep darkness, a light will shine. Isaiah is saying, in darkness, we are foolish, ignorant, and confused. It's in the darkness. The way we tend to live our lives is by blundering around. We hurt people. We walk away from things we know we shouldn't. And we do things that we know we shouldn't do. But we don't know our up from down. We don't know our right from the left. We're selfish. We lose hope. We act in greed. We start comparing ourselves to one another. And what Isaiah is saying is all of us, all of us in here, that darkness is living inside ourselves. There's a darkness, yes, in this world, but there's a darkness in our community and there's a darkness in our own souls that forces us into isolation. Darkness forces us into guilt. Our big idea today is this. Darkness is powerless against the light. Darkness is powerless against the light. You see, here's the thing. All of us, we've went into a dark room, and we flipped the switch, just like what just happened. And let me tell you what you did not experience. You did not experience the darkness arguing with the light, saying, you know what? I'm I'm not going to do it. It's going to remain dark, right? Right? You never, ever see that. It's just brightness. 
There is no argument. Why? Because the darkness is powerless against the light. When God sends light into the world, everything changes. Everything changes. We're going to read the next three to four verses in Isaiah, and we're going to close today. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 3 says this, though. What changes is this. Light brings rejoicing. See it right here. It says, you will enlarge the nation of Israel, and its people will what? They will, before you as people... At the harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder. Let me tell you, anytime you read a verse and in one verse you see three of the same words. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. What do you think he's trying to tell you? There you go. Light brings rejoicing. And you remember how it happened when Jesus was born? In fact, if you've uh, seen the Charlie Brown Christmas special, anybody seen the Charlie Brown Christmas special this year? You know what Linus says. This is what Linus says in Luke chapter 2. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep, and suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others. I love that. The armies of heaven doing what? praising God and saying glory to God in the highest heaven, peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. You see, when light shows up, you can have a reason to rejoice because we're not blundering through the darkness. Let me give you another thing what light does. Light brings freedom. Light brings freedom. Look at verse 4. For you will break the yoke of slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. We're going to keep that up there. This is some really cool stuff here because Jesus came into this world to free you and I from bondage. And all of us are addicted to something. All of us are. Some are addicted to the desires. Some are addicted to their addictions. Some are, and I, we're just selfish people. And we think we can't stop. I can't do it. I can't stop smoking. I can't stop chewing. I can't stop whatever it is. I can't stop drinking. I can't stop self-medicating. I can't stop looking at pornography. I can't stop cussing. I can't stop going on Facebook and comparing myself to other people and having a poor self-image. We think we can't stop purging. But Jesus came into this world. The light breached the darkness, and the darkness had not overcome it. Here's what's so amazing by this. When it comes to our addictions, many of us think that the odds are stacked against us when it comes to actually finding freedom. But look at what it says here in verse 4. It says, you will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of, and what is that next word? <clears throat> Midian. Now let me tell you, um, give you just a, we actually looked at what this story this year at one church. And he's alluding to a guy by the name of Gideon. Gideon. It's found in the book of Judges. And what happens with Gideon is that God takes Gideon and 300 Israelites and he comes up against an army of Midian that number into the tens of thousands. 
And guess who won? It wasn't the Midianites. It was the 300. It's the original 300. What's so cool about this is that God beats the odds. God beats the odds. For some of you, you're here this morning, you know, Chris, I don't think I can do it. I don't think I can overcome it. I don't think I can beat it. I don't think I can stop it. I don't think I can stop ingesting it. I can't, I, I can't stop throwing up. I can't stop looking. Whatever it is, you need to know that our God beats the odds. And that is the entire theme of the entire Bible. You see, when God told Abram, you're going to have a child, but you don't seem to understand. I am 90 years old. It doesn't matter. God beats the odds. It doesn't matter if you are childless, God beats the odds. It doesn't matter if you come from a busted, broken up home like Abraham, Jacob, and Joseph were from. Because our God beats the odds. That there's a story of hope for a family that we grow up that has radical dysfunction. God beats the odds. It doesn't matter if you're a person like Samson in the book of Judges. That who's just wasted his life away. Our God brings hope and God beats the odds. It doesn't matter if you're a story of Ruth who comes from uh, an incestuous lifestyle and a product of rape. It doesn't matter because our God beats the odds. It doesn't matter if you're a Rahab. It doesn't matter if you're a Tamar. All of those people are found in Jesus' family tree and God beats the odds. Our God is a God. You don't tell him what the odds are. Because if it's a surefire reality on one end, and then this is what God says on the other, go with God. Because our God beats the odds. Last thing, light brings freedom, but light also brings peace. Look at what it says. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war will all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. Jesus came into this world to bring peace. How many of y'all want peace? I am tired of our men and women going overseas. I'm tired of continuing to send men and women to places like Iraq and Afghanistan. And I think all of us, we want peace. We want a time when deployments end. And not just end for nine months before you get ramped up to deploy again. We want a time when we live in peace, where the killings stop, when wars cease. I mean, for many of us, we can't even remember what it was like to not have a deployment. But what this verse says, that the boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained with war will all be burned. They're going to be fueled with the fire. You won't need them anymore because there's going to be peace. And not only we talk about global peace, but many of us, we just want peace in our own families. I mean, some of you, you got family coming in today or tomorrow that you don't like. Right? And afterwards, when they come, when they leave, you're going to have to go get some counseling. Right? Honestly, yes. We just want peace in our homes. Some of us, we just want peace between mom and dad and the teenager. Or stepdad to stepchild. 
or stepdad to stepdaughter, stepmom to stepson. We want peace. We want to be able to get along with people inside of our homes. And not only that, we want to have peace at work. Some of you, you're excited about not going to work for a couple of days because you can't stand anybody who's there. And if the honest truth is, they probably don't like you either. There's just no peace. The last verse we see that we're going to end today is Isaiah 9-6. Before we put it up on the screen. It's one of those verses that we have a tendency to rush through. And we're not going to rush through it this morning. It's such a great verse that's pregnant with so much meaning. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 says this. For a child is born to us. A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders. We're going to stop right here. Just leave that up if you would. We talked about this a little bit in our last series, The End, but Jesus is going to reign on this earth. He will wear the king's robe. This hasn't happened yet. This is still future. What we call the millennial kingdom. But listen to how the author described him. Unto us a child is born, is how one version says. Unto us a son is given. The government will rest upon his shoulders. And then it goes on it says this. And he will be called, what? Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. All right, if you wouldn't mind, go back to that. That first slide. Let's talk about this. He, he, he makes a huge distinguish here. He, he makes a dichotomy. He says, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us. I love that verse. I, I, I love this because he makes a huge distinction here. A child will be born, but a son will be given. The child was born, but the son was given. The baby was born of a woman, yes, but the son was handed down from above. The uniqueness of Jesus Christ is wrapped up in the fact that yet he was born of a baby, he has always been a son. Child has to do with his human ties. Son has to do with his divine connection. Child has to do with he was a son of Mary. He was a baby of Mary. Son has to do with the person of God in the Trinity. Child, put him in a manger. Son, he is the reigning king and Lord of lords who will one day come again. You see, what's so cool about this verse is even though Jesus was born as a baby, the son has always existed. The son exists out of time. In fact, he is the one who created, Jesus created the heavens and the earth, Colossians chapter 1. I love that. Now look at this. For a child is born, a son is given, the government rests on his shoulders, and then he gives four names. Now, quick thing, I got three boys. I named all of those boys because it sounded good with Edmondson. Right? Bing. All right, Bingham Edmondson, I like it. All right, Jediah Edmondson, sounds good. Walton Edmondson, I like it a lot. Let me tell you, the Hebrew people really didn't care about how names sounded. In fact, if you read some of the Old Testament, you will learn that quick. They really, Barach, 
They don't really care how it was sounded. By the way, do anybody like to translate that? I'm just saying, they don't care what it sounds like. What they were more interested in was the meaning of the name. Let me tell you the meaning of Jesus. He will be called. And he lists four things. I love this. Wonderful. He will be called wonderful. There is a wonderful Savior that's coming, and he is going to be a wonderful what? Counselor. Now, let me tell you, that's not something he does. That's someone who he is. He is wise. He is all-knowing. There's great wisdom. He is a wonderful counselor. You know, I do some counseling, some. And you might get some good words of advice if you catch me on a good day. If you catch me on a bad day, good luck with that. Right? You see, when people come to counsel for me, they don't want what I think. Because I, sometimes what I think is jacked up. And I'm not a wonderful counselor. They want to know what God's word says, and they want to know what Jesus says, who is a wonderful counselor. And that he has no bad days. He has no off days. He is a wonderful counselor. Let's go to the next one. He is what? Mighty God. Now, what's the connection between wonderful counselor and mighty God? Because the wonderful counselor will tell you how you need to live your life, and mighty God has enough power so that to pull it off. He says, you know what? If you do this over here, good counsel, wonderful counsel, if you do this here, then here will be the result, and then God is so powerful, he will pull the strings to make sure it happens. And some of you, that's exactly what you need today. You know God is telling, you need to start doing this. And there's a promise if you do. He is wonderful counselor. He is mighty God. And the next one, he is what? Everlasting Father. Let's talk a little bit about that. It's not so much everlasting Father. A better translation of this is Father of Eternity. What he's saying is this, is that Jesus exists outside of time. He's the one who created time. There's never been a time when Jesus was not. And not only is he the Father of Eternity, he's the, he's the one who kick-started it all. It also is talking about that he is the source of of eternity, the source of eternal life, the father of eternity, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and what? Prince of peace. You know, I like that because if you think about most countries today, they rise and fall on whether or not they have enough power. And you see an entire culture, an entire community. You see so much stuff happening in the Middle East with a, you know, a new dictator of this rise to power. And they rise to power because they conquer and they make war. But let me tell you, our Savior Jesus Christ, he comes to power and he conquers not by war but by peace. You see, some of the biggest revolutions that's happened in our entire history, is a revolution that happened with peace. It's a revolution that happened when we chose, when people choose not to rise up in war, but to say, you know what, I love you in spite of all of that. 
We see that when Jesus says in John 13, 34, and 35, they will know that you are Christians by your love. An entire culture, the Roman culture, has faded away, but what is last is this culture of peace and love that Jesus Christ set forth 2,000 years ago. And that culture of love and grace and peace keeps on coming down from generation to generation until the darkness is now light and he calls you and I to be invited into that light. So as we close today, I just want to give you just just an encouragement. Don't confuse silence with inactivity. Don't confuse darkness that God is not present. Because it can be dark in your job. You can experience some darkness in your family. You may have a mom that's coming into town that you don't get along with. You may have a stepdad that's coming into town that you're just butting heads with. And it may be some dark times over the next couple of days. But remember this, darkness flees when light is present. Darkness runs away and is powerless against the light. So my challenge is, who will you worship? This season. You're going to worship culture, materialism, or are we going to worship a baby that was born in a very dark time who brought light into the world? And he's inviting you and I today to be 